to Shot Reverse Shot. Uh, I'm Matt Risby, hello, and uh, joining me as always is uh, Ed Davis. How are you doing, sir? All right? Yeah, doing very well. I've overdosed on Star Wars over the last week or so. Well, last week, really. Mm, it's been pretty hard to uh, to avoid it with the, the Star Wars celebration um, uh, kind of going on. Um, I mean, we'll get to that a lot in this episode. We'll kind of talk about uh, things relating to that. Um, have you kind of been watching anything uh, non-Star Wars related this week? Uh, I saw a, like a film that that kind of almost defies uh, kind of logical description, a uh, a British musical called uh, Walking on Sunshine, uh, which came out last year. I watched it, and um, it's kind of like uh, a pound chop version of Mamma Mia. Wow! Um, with do you remember the 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 S Club Seven TV show? I do. Yes, very well. Yeah, that kind of that kind of production value, but you know. With a kind of a better cast, I think a better cast, <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just yeah, with eight all songs from the eighties, and it's just really peculiar, odd, terrible, terrible film, but kind of in its own way mesmerizing. When you said the title, I was hoping it was a musical entirely based on the, the sound, the songs of Casey and the Sunshine Band, just because I think no. that would be such a, a peculiar choice. Mm. Yeah, yeah, well, no less peculiar than Jersey Boys, mm. and we know how that that kind of worked out. Um, what, have, what have you been uh, ingesting anything film wise this week? Uh, nothing film wise. I've mainly been watching the uh, Daredevil TV series on Netflix, which we talked about last week. Um, yeah, how's that? I've been really enjoying it. It's uh, the the action in it is very very good, very well staged. There's a shot which everyone talks about this, but there's a a single take fight at the end of the second episode, which is uh, genuinely thrilling and wonderfully well made and, and is reminiscent of things like old boy and you know or or stuff like the raid which you know does that sort of stuff really well um and it's uh it's really interesting because there's they've structured it pretty much like you would expect a comic which is that as it moves through the pacing is each episode has kind of little things but they're very slowly revealing things about um the kingpin and how he's involved in all this kind of stuff about rebuilding hell's kitchen which has been destroyed because of the events in the avengers so it ties into the broader marvel universe but it's all kind of background things which is quite an interesting uh tack to take and mm. um yeah the uh charlie cox the the main actor in it is is uh, really good he's a very good matt murdoch uh at the point that i'm at vincent d'onofrio has just shown up as the kingpin and he is uh very intense mm. Yeah, yeah. But he's always kind of a weird guy, Vincent D'Onofrio, because he never looks the same in kind of, you know, role to role. He certainly didn't when he was kind of in his 80s, 90s heyday. Mm. Uh, you know, the same person who played Private Pyle um, then turns up playing Orson Welles. Yeah. Uh, or the the kind of unrecognisable baggy-skinned alien in Men in Black. Yeah, I always forget that's him. That's someone I... He's, he is completely unrecognisable there. This, he he still looks like him, except he's bold. But he right, is, okay. it's kind of him at his most physically imposing in a way that, for example, he never looked that imposing on um, Law and Order when he was on that, whichever flavour of Law and Order he was on. I think it was uh, Criminal Intent. Um, so, yeah, he is uh, there. He was more kind of a little more wiry and jittery, whereas this his role so far has mainly been 
defined by him being just this kind of hulking still presence. Um, mm. There's just this sense. There's this sense that of of tremendous menace whenever he's on screen. Uh, so yeah, that I think that's nice to see him reined in because he was very very big on the um, Law and Order. Mm. It's uh, interesting to see Daredevil joining the ranks of things like Buffy, as in you, as in something that was a shit film suddenly made into a good TV show. Mm. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think they've definitely benefited from trying to ground it as much as possible. Like, he hasn't put on the costume yet. His his costume consists of him wearing all black and essentially a, a bandana around his eyes, so he just looks like the Dread Pirate Roberts from Princess Bride. Um, mm. And they, the, the violence in it is, you know, it's quite bloody and, and it feel, it looks painful, so it doesn't have the kind of plasticity of the, um, the Ben Affleck film. Mm. Speaking of uh, painful, bloody violence, Game of Thrones came back this week. Um, have you caught up with that yet? I have, yes. Uh, uh, I spent most of it uh, just trying to remember who everyone was, as <laughs> usual. Um, literally no idea. And kind of also you've got to play that game with, like, have they recast any roles? Um, is that, that young actor just quite a lot older because there's been, like, a year since they filmed the last season and do I not recognise them? Uh, and I thought it was funny that the previously on uh, was about ten minutes long. <laughs> Certainly, over here they don't have a, pre- a previously on. I don't think it's just, they just kind of leap straight into it. But oh, right, okay. I think in in the UK it'll probably get to the point where they're like two hours long. <laughs> the first hour is just everything that's happened so far. Mm. And like I was um, speaking to someone the other day who's kind of read the books, and um, they were complaining that um, uh, you know the character, the the, the Viper, mm-hmm. uh, his sisters come into. Uh, uh, I believe you know this. You've read the books. His sisters come into uh, into the four uh, in this season, but they were complaining because they've slimmed it down in the in the TV show to three, I believe, rather than eight. And they were complaining about that. And I was like, uh, I think I'd probably hold out for less characters at this point because I haven't got a fucking clue what's going on half the time. Yeah, the the Sand Snakes who are his his bastard children instead of his his sisters. Uh, they oh, are. Okay. Yeah, there are like eight of them, but like. I think three of them are actually really characters in the books because some of them are really young, some of the and a lot of them just end up being locked away for most of it. At the at, you know at the in book five, maybe in book six they'll become more important. But there's really only sort of two or three that are actually important. Fully formed. Mm. Yeah. So okay. it's like if you if you cut out the other five, then really it just means that you're cutting out a bunch of names of people that you never see. Mm. I think it's funny, like on Game of Thrones, kind of. Uh, um, there was a leak wasn't there and kind of uh, four episodes came out and the people who have watched them and were all kind of smug about it and everything and then before that they've realised that now they've got to wait four weeks for another episode yeah one of the guys at my work did that he um, yeah he downloaded all four of them and was like he he was talking about how good it was and then the next day he just looked like someone who'd eaten all of the advent calendar chocolates on the December 1st which is kind of foolish yeah he just just looks really full and full and foolish and thinking Oh. And like uh, on his whiteboard above his desk, he had written down a countdown of how many days before, like before the first episode was due to air. And I wiped mm. it down and just replaced replaced it with Game of Thrones in four weeks. <laughs> yeah, just to remind yeah. you. Well, you know, crime doesn't pay, etc., <laughs> etc. Et um, in the news this week, um, interesting kind of thing happened. Uh, Furious Seven. If that's the actual title, is it Fast and Furious Seven or just Furious Seven? Just Furious Seven for this one. Um, is the fastest film to one billion dollars? 
Uh, it only took 17 days to reach that, that landmark. That's that's kind of absurd. It is. It's especially absurd because it's a 2D-only release, whereas right. every every other film except for Titanic has achieved that with inflated 3D ticket sales. So this one has done it also at a time when the dollar is depressed. So not only has it done it faster, it's done it without any of the advantages that other films have had. Like it's got the mm. exchange rate against it. It's got its lower ticket prices for it. It is just destroyed and it looks like it's going to overtake uh, Transformers, whatever the last one was, <laughs> Age, of Dis- Age of Extinction, as mm. the biggest film ever in Chinese box office history, which again is crazy. Yeah, kind of nuts. Um, what else we got? We've got uh, the long-awaited uh, TV adaptation of Preacher um, as uh, kind of rounding out its cast with Dominic Cooper is uh, taking the lead role, isn't he, Custer? Yes, he is. Uh, which I think isn't. Uh, uh, when I read that, I kind of thought, "Oh, that's weird," but then I thought. Most people probably know him as like Howard Stark on Agents of Shield, on um, Agent Carter, or from the second Iron Man film over here. So he's probably better known now for playing Americans than English people. And uh, I think he he has the he does kind of have the charisma for it. I think I think he's he's someone who just has kind of a slightly effortless charm, which I think is important. But to that character, but there's also a lot of the time his characters always seem to have something seedy about them, which I think suits that world uh i was most excited to see that joseph gilgan from uh from this is england is uh has been cast as uh cassidy the vampire mm, yeah, yeah i saw that mainly because he's the uh character he's the only uh character in that show that i've had a drink with so right that's a, a nut, that's my one connection to, to the preacher tv series there you go you're practically in it practically yeah like i yeah. i've seen him drunkenly sing reggae songs at a This Is England after party. And uh, I think that gives a very good... That's a good grounding there for Cassidy. Mm, absolutely. He'll probably draw on that moment for his performance, <laughs> one would imagine. Um, we're talking this week um, about marketing, um, which is, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to try and sell anyone anything. This is not pyramid selling. Um we're talking about kind of the kind of absurdity of the state of, of movie marketing right now. And a lot of that is inspired by the fact that uh, this week has seen the kind of kind of peak trailer, really. Uh, we've had, as some of you may be aware, uh, a new Star Wars trailer, um, which uh, coincided with an erection I had for about 25 minutes. Um, you know, it is quite great, that trailer. And we'll kind of get to that in a bit, but... We've talked in the past before about the kind of weirdness and the kind of uh, stupidity and kind of just downright uh, kind of strange practice of, of teasing things that are actually already teasers. You know, in the olden days, you used to get uh, a poster would just go up uh, outside your cinema, you'd see a trailer for it and the coming attractions, and, and that would be it. But now, you know, it's a kind of like multifaceted announcements for announcements. You get teasers of posters, teasers of trailers. Trailers of trailers, four trailers, three part trailers, two part teasers, and it's it's just kind of uh, it's kind of got a bit ridiculous this week, hasn't it? It has. I mean, we had in exactly an example of the teasers for a trailer, teasers for a teaser, really, which was on I think on Thursday they announced that there was going to be they were going to release five seconds of the trailer for Batman versus Superman, and kind of think, well, that's 
ridiculous because what you're going to see in five seconds and especially when the trailer was coming the next day mm. uh, and they'd already done that i think they did the same thing with the jurassic world trailer when that was due to drop as well they just kind of hint little they show little things of it and there's not really much you can glean from those sort of things it's merely just kind of playing into something we talked about in in when we did our episode on online criticism the kind of clickbait culture which mm. is that you know that if you release five seconds of a trailer a thousand blogs will post about it and just you know write 800 word things about these five seconds and what they say or don't say or um what could be in the one minute and 55 seconds that are due to come out the next day and mm. it's just it's just kind of a ridiculous thing where everyone as soon as they talk about that they just kind of bemoan it and then like everyone who's bemoaning it also then posts and writes about it mm. it does seem to be like a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy there uh, yeah definitely respect. um but yeah let's let's kind of talk about the star wars trailer because you know star wars um it's been part of a kind of a wider thing with the star wars celebration which is an annual kind of, uh convention of uh, star wars nerds um, but this year, obviously, the profile been um, hugely kind of uh, anticipated because obviously we've got a new film coming out, and you know it's the first one since uh, you know we've actually got some rock solid uh, Disney material coming out. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff coming out. We've got uh, today we had uh, Rogue Squadron kind of confirmed uh, the Gareth Edwards is it? Is that, I get the guy confused who did Godzilla and the guy who did the raid. They're different people, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Gareth Edwards has done did uh, Godzilla and is directing Rogue One, and Gareth Ed, uh, Gareth Evans is the guy who did the two raid films. Oh, okay. Because it confuses me because there are people from the raid in Star Wars. Yeah, and that's kind of anyway. Yeah, that's been confirmed, and then a new series of Rebels uh, has come out. So uh, you can't really move for Star Wars, but um, you know it was kind of crazy. Even though everyone was excited to see the trailer and all that kind of caper, like I watched it on my telephone walking home uh, uh, from work, whilst because they live streamed pretty much the entire convention. Mm. Um, that's kind of nuts, isn't it? It is. I think it, it speaks to the place that Star Wars has in the culture that it is that big of a deal. Like, I don't think, you know, like the 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 Marvel movies are huge now. I don't think you could really get people that engaged if you were to do that for uh, for Age of Ultron. Maybe it might get to that stage when we get to Civil War mm. and the Infinity Wars and everything. But like, I think it, it this week has reinforced that even though. You know, we went through that rocky patch of um, of six years where we had those terrible, terrible prequels. Mm-hmm. Everyone still wants to love Star Wars. Like, we all really want to have that feeling of, you know, the from when we were watching it as a kid. And that makes me think that Star Wars is like the deadbeat dad of movie fandom. Yeah. Because it always promises so much. And every time, like, we're like, oh, last time he was telling us all about midichlorians and he brought that kind of really offensive rabbit frog thing with him mm. but next time next time things will be good um and we can't really quash that <laughs> yeah i mean that's what um if you talk about we'll, we'll get onto some of the other trailers and, and and kind of approaches to marketing films uh later but the the star wars one kind of occupies a kind of a special kind of spot because other trailers are trying to build hype or trying to kind of like you know astound you with uh uh kind of 
uh, awe-inspiring visuals, whereas the Star Wars trailers are quite different markedly the way they're constructed because they're trying to do two things. Um, one, they're trying to kind of hit you where it hurts, which is in the nostalgia uh, kind of area. And the other bit is they're trying to kind of rebuild some kind of faith uh, after the, the prequels. I mean, there's no way J.J. Abrams or Kathleen Kennedy is going to say that, you know, the, the prequels were a misstep and a mistake and, you know, we've got to try and get the trust back after, uh, you know, what they did to us. Um, <laughs> but there is there's very much under the surface that they are trying to keep it, um, l- you know, looking as real as possible after the debacle of the, uh, the computer game uh, prequels, plus also make it feel like Star Wars for all the people who have kind of missed out. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of when Obama came into office. It's like he couldn't just turn around and say, yeah, those guys really fucked everything up because that's bad form. Mm. <laughs> that's kind of the truth. And that's kind of the thing that is has is underpinned, I think, a lot of the Star Wars stuff. And I think the first trailer that they released, which we talked about a while ago, probably in November this time, yeah. uh, that, that was just kind of giving you brief glimpses of, of things and just say that one seemed to be geared towards saying this things are new. These are new characters. These things, you know, there's a little ball droid, but it ends with the millennium Falcon doing a loop de loop and flying off and the star Wars theme kicking in and essentially saying, you know, it's kind of new stuff, but this is star Wars. Mm-hmm. This is what you remember. And what I thought was great about the new trailer is it seemed to kind of re- there was obviously the echo of using, I think Luke's dialogue from Return of the Jedi over it to, to kind of connect it to the old ones and the shot of Darth Vader's melted mask. But even just its construction, the fact that it opens with a shot of essentially nothing and then pans across and there's like a small spaceship and then there's the Star Destroyer buried in the desert is clearly a reference to like the opening st- shot of the first Star Wars where mm-hmm. you start on empty space, blockade runner flies in. Star Destroyer flies in and you know there were all these kind of things where they're really trying to recapture a feeling of what Star Wars means to people and you know ending with uh, Han Solo showing up and saying Chewie we're home with the most charisma that uh, Harrison Ford has demonstrated in about 20 years Mm. all in those three words Uh, it just kind of felt like something really really special it did yeah and unlike you know a normal trailer wouldn't end like that it would it would end on a kind of a bombastic thing but i think it was very important for for abrams to kind of anchor it in something that because we didn't see any of the uh, the old characters in the last trailer um i think it was very important for abrams to to uh, well you know bring back uh, something that was going to get everyone uh, kind of jazzed in, in in a different way um and it was kind of cool cuz i watched the trailer but then i kind of watched it Someone had filmed everyone in the room watching it because obviously this is the 21st century and no one can live their lives anymore. They have to film the whole fucking thing all the time. Um, but just the audible gasps when, and you know, just that kind of uh, electricity when uh, when Han and Chewie on stream delivers that line um, it was kind of amazing. Yeah, I think that's one of the things. That's why I, I don't think I'll watch it again on a computer or anything. I do want to see it in a cinema and see and hear what people's responses are to it because I had that with the first trailer which I watched a few times and then uh it played before played before Jupiter Ascending 
and like seeing it on a big screen and hearing people like the the twelve people who were in that screen with me react to it was really quite was really quite lovely. That was the peak um, of their evening as well, I think. It, it probably was that and the Mad Max Fury Road trailer were probably the best part of that viewing experience. Yeah, um, I mean, it's very important for us to kind of stay grounded because uh, the Phantom Menace trailer was pretty awesome because that felt a bit mm. Star Warsy, and uh, we were very excited and you know. Uh, at the end of it, we're all kind of uh, stood there holding uh, Jar Jar Binks merchandise and feeling quite stupid. Yeah, I think the I think there is a certain degree of cautious optimism for it, but I think that everyone that like the the level of enthusiasm for it, I think, does stem from the fact that Disney have handled this so well. Like they purchased it pretty much at the height of their goodwill because the Avenger had just opened and everyone had seen. Oh my god! Look at what Disney have done. Mm-hmm. They have managed to create a comic book world in these big budget, big budget blockbusters. And people, I think, felt, you know, if if it had happened like even just two years before that Disney bought Star Wars, I think people would be really nervous because you just be kind of like, well, they took over and we've got Iron Man two. You know, how the hell are they going to do Star Wars justice? But you know, then and everything they've done there, they've not like overloaded people with teasers for trailers and stuff they've released two trailers they've kept like information about the film under wraps they kept information of who was cast under wraps for quite a long time i think that the fact that they have limited people's access to all this information is what has you know made it feel special as opposed to say the terminator genesis trailer which dropped i think two weeks ago where when you watched it it gives away the only interesting plot in the entire movie which is that spoilers for a film no one's going to see um that john connor is now a terminator um that makes so much sense (laughs) but it's like it's the that that i think one of the things i like about mark film marketing like this kind of insane hyper marketing that we now watch is you can usually pinpoint the point at which a studio has lost all faith in a film (laughs) and i think that that trailer seemed to be that for me that was the point at which they realized people aren't really excited about this what can we do let's reveal the one like big twist that will get people talking Mm. it's essentially like they're releasing the film in installments very short Mm. installments someone um i don't know i don't remember if it was for the first amazing spider-man or the second one but someone worked out that if you added together all the footage that had been released in all the various trailers, it added up to about forty minutes of the movie. Wow! And, and that was like that was the I think that was the absolute most insane part of of that approach to marketing that I've ever seen. Mm. Um, you kind of say that Disney have handled this very well, but that leads us into something they have kind of been keen to do with the Marvel films and also. Uh, the kind of way that the, the the Star Wars celebration announcements were all stage managed is that it's something you've said in the past where um, these kind of big announcements about films are kind of handled a bit like Apple product launches. Mm. Yeah, they do feel. I, I it does feel like they're making it more and more corporate, and I think they are taking. They are they are basically taking the uh, taking the lead from. Um, from what Steve Steve Jobs used to do where the release of an Apple product was an event and it was something you built up to and then you just kind of unleashed all this information. And I think that that is probably something that was just always going to happen because that's that, that method has been shown to work, that if you stage these conferences like that and you make it a big global event, 
to see what the new you know what the what new piece of shit Apple are working on. He says recording this into a Mac. Um, <laughs> the you know you know I mean like I'd use lots of Apple products, but I'm not going to buy a fucking watch. No. Um, but you know that like that they've shown that that works. That it's something that I think some studio would have done anyway. But Disney are the ones who have the big the the biggest cards to play there. Really, mm. it's like they have the big the, the two biggest franchises in the world in Star Wars and Marvel. Um, and that it's been demonstrated that these things work. You know, there was a news story saying that Disney's stock increased two billion in value after the second tra- tra- uh, second trailer dropped for Star Wars, which is more than the film would make. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, it would have to be the second most successful film of all time to add that much value to their stock. And you know, these things these things work. And I'm I think it'd be interesting to see if anyone actually tries that. I can't imagine that Universal will get that even with the success of Uni- of uh, Fur- Furious Seven. I can't imagine that Furious Eight will her cause would be announced in that way. Mm. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Um, but yeah, it's it's clearly kind of like. Um, important in the sense that um we talked before about when we talk about budgets and things um a marketing budget is can be uh a kind of like a significant chunk of the total spend i think when we talked about flops you can often talk about what's the formula for for kind of marketing generally on a big hollywood film it, it needs to earn about three times its production budget to even see one kind of cent of profit and that's so, kind of insane because like, I mean in a way the, the marketing of the films is almost as big a big business as the films themselves mm, except in unless you're working on a super low budget like th- one of the big things this year was It Follows the uh, acclaimed um, horror movie has been a big success over here uh, despite having no traditional marketing spend it's all word of mouth and social media and stuff but you know you can't really rely on that for Star Wars <laughs> or um or well, actually, you probably could. You could probably rely on that for Star Wars because it's the biggest brand in cinema history. Mm. But like, if you were doing something for pretty much anything else, you need to spend a huge amount of money to get the word out there for whatever film you're working on. Yeah, it definitely does work. I mean, there has been uh, great kind of examples of of kind of like uh, guerrilla marketing um, things like Blair Witch Project spring to mind in the mm. early days of the internet. Um, they kind of, you know, created a fake website and uh, a fake documentary to kind of lead people to believe that the events of the film were actually genuinely real. And, and uh, uh, that was, um, you know, a masterstroke. And, you know, the film only cost about 50p to make, and I believe their marketing budget um, was, you know, well, well in excess of 50p. Um, and, you know, they saw the rewards because it was like one of the most profitable films ever made. Yeah, or or even just a few years ago, Paranormal Activity had more or less the same uh, progression where they very kind of savvily played on the social media uh, desire to see the film by releasing it in a very few cities initially after, you know, a lot of hype because there were teasers online and people were, they were doing that whole thing of showing trailers where people were terrified in the cinema watching it and everything. But then they had a whole thing where people had to vote to say, bring this film to my city. And so people they they essentially created a kind of a, a rabid 
desire for people to see the film, even though they probably would have expanded it to those cities anyway. Mm. <laughs> it's just like the idea of engaging people in that way was a really cheap and effective way of turning that film into this kind of from this uh, you know film that cost fifty thousand dollars and was shot in the director's house to a film that earned over like over a hundred million dollars worldwide. Mm, absolutely. Um, what what are the kind of more egregious uh, marketing methods that you've seen that you can't stand? I have to say that my personal kind of um, uh, kind of bet noir in this area is the uh, is the tweeter log, uh, especially mm. when you get home releases. Obviously, it would be a poor form to encourage a tweet along on a on a, on a theatrical release. Um, but yeah, when you know it's like, oh, this film's out on video. Join us tonight for a tweet along. Just watch the fucking film, you dipshit. Yeah, the whole idea of a second screen experience really annoys me. <laughs> um, like, I don't mind if someone is watching a film themselves and they're doing a live tweet of a film they've seen before. That's that's like fine. That's you're perfectly right to do, and people can mute you and everything. But when it's the company itself encouraging it, that does strike me as uh, horribly disrespectful to the film that you're trying to release. That you're kind of baking into the experience. Yeah, you don't really pay, need to pay that much attention to it. You can you can watch and make jokes as you go along. Um, for me, in terms of things that really really annoy me, I think I think 3D is still the one that really just kind of will never stop annoying me. Like when people, it's obviously something that's died down a little bit there. But when we're in the kind of the peak, the the peak of. Uh, 3D mania in sort of like 2009-2010 the the aggressive way that that they would kind of advertise films with that just really really annoyed me because it did make them seem like uh like some sort of funfair ride yeah well i mean that's you know this hawks back to the uh uh, the days of, of William Castle and gimmicks, doesn't it? And, and you know, that's for anyone who don't know, William Castle was a, a kind of, uh, well, a real showman in the kind of P.T. Barnum sense and would release kind of schlocky kind of horror pictures, but they'd all have a gimmick like uh, he'd put vibrators, not vibrators, vibrating mechanisms in the <laughs> seats and at certain points it would kind of buzz you while kind of a, a ghost jumped out or whatever or he'd have films, thing, uh, he'd shoot films in what he called Spectrovision and you wore a cheap pair of glasses and then, you know, a kind of shit ghost was draped over you. It was kind of uh, affectionately uh, kind of parodied in the film Matinee. Uh, if anyone's ever seen that, the Joe Dante film, it's a, a great film. But, uh, yeah, 3D and its uh, kind of uh, marketing as a as a kind of game changer was, uh, was you know, very Castle-esque. Yeah, and, but I, I also feel like it has it's had this weird thing where everyone has become sick of 3D, but it's kind of forced still on films, but it's become generally unpopular. And, you know, there's lots of studies that show that people given the choice will always go for 2D pretty much just because of the cheapness. And because for a lot of people, the whole process just hurts the heads and everything. Mm. But I think that has actually, and, and, and it has made it more widespread, but it also seems to have hurt people's willingness to embrace it as an actual artistic mode of expression. Because like last year, Jean-Luc Godard put out the film Goodbye to Language, which uh, I didn't get to see because it didn't play anywhere near me, but everyone said that that made really kind of innovative and interesting use of 3D. And But, you know, that's something that you don't really see that level of experimentation being used by a lot of other people because I think a lot of other filmmakers just see it as a cheap gimmick that you can't do anything interesting with. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, was, it's in, I think, I might have imagined it, but I'm pretty sure Star Wars has been released in 3D, and that surprised me. Uh, is it? I know it's been shot on film. I guess it probably would be shot in 3D. Yeah, but like, I th- I'm pretty sure at the end of the trailer it says in 3D. I might have imagined that. Uh, it'd be terrible if it is. Yeah, I think that would be really disappointing, but also kind of harken back to the very last thing that Lucas did with it was where he was threatening to re-release all of the films in 3D. Well, they, they, they did, did it with the Phantom Menace, and mm. everyone was like, no. Well, they, they did screen all the prequels in 3D um, at the Star Wars Celebration. Who's going to want to sit through that? I mean, it's like, can you think of one way to make the entire experience of the prequels worse? Yes, add a third dimension. It it would make it more like how I saw The Phantom Menace when my friend uh, John Raffa brought me a, a pirated copy when it was due to come out, which mm. was essentially uh, with about 50% light loss. For some reason, it was incredibly dark and impossible to see. So I think that would probably be the only way to really reproduce the feel of watching it for that first time and being sort of excited by it because... You think, I can't wait to see this in the cinema and see what Jar Jar actually looks like. Yeah, I think that's something that the youth of today um, won't appreciate, you know. They they can kind of download a, an HD rip of uh, of a film kind of, uh, you know, at the drop of a hat. But, you know, someone at your school, in our day, someone at your school had to go to the local market and buy, uh, you know, a VHS, which was, a, was, for those who don't know, like a big blocky cassette thing. Um, and you couldn't really tell what was going on. I had a pirate, pirate copy of uh, of um, Jurassic Park, um, uh, and I'd uh, I'd already seen the film in the cinema. But being a kind of big fan of the film, I wanted to have my own copy, and I just couldn't wait. So yeah, someone went to Felixstowe Market and bought one. And yeah, you can't tell what's happening uh, for the vast majority of the runtime. Yeah, I think that really kind of stokes your imagination. Mm. In many it ways. Just kind of... That the pirate, pirate, pirate VHS really did kind of like, uh, uh, yeah, inspire me in many ways to make up my own film because <laughs> I couldn't tell what was going on in Jurassic Park. And do you think your 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 head movie, to borrow a phrase from Tropic Thunder, was better or worse? Um, it was certainly fuzzier. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it's kind of an odd thing, um, but to kind of talk about Jurassic Park. For a second, we talked about Jurassic World and their kind of teasers for trailers. I think that's the kind of the worst example currently we've we've got. Uh, even worse than the kind of Star Wars Superman uh, thingy. In that, I think if I'm might be kind of like uh, miscounting here, but I think we had a teaser poster, and then we had a teaser for a teaser trailer, then we had the teaser trailer, and then we had an extended trailer. And then today we got two, well, or a couple of days ago, we got two more teaser posters. And we are going to get another trailer tomorrow, for which there has already been a teaser. Yeah, I think that one, I think that one, maybe we're getting a sense of desperation kind of creeping in again, similar to Terminator Genesis, where the studio have taken a big gamble and a relatively untested director the response that people have put out to it is very mixed. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's there's some enthusiasm for it because, you know, it's, it's Jurassic Park, but at the same time, everyone's saying, well, there's only really one good Jurassic Park film. Um, so the odds of them making another good one 
22 years later is are not high mm. and you know as for whatever uh even you know chris pratt his most kind of goofy and charismatic seems like he may not be able to rescue what what looks like kind of a the, in some ways the opposite of what you're seeing with star wars where star wars feels very tactile it looks like something where they put a lot of effort into trying to make it feel like the old films but with slightly better graphics this one just looks kind of plastic and generic mm. it's like they just kept they didn't stop making Jurassic Park films after Jurassic Park 3 um, it's like it just it just feels like a very lazy reboot um, because as much as they wanted to, to uh, kind of defy that reboot tag um, all they've done is reopen a park that the, the, the dinosaurs <laughs> break out of which is the, <laughs> the, the, the exact same plot of the first film yeah but with uh, some younger faces yeah, not yeah. not even the uh, the or you know maybe they've got like Jeff Goldblum just shows up for one scene to kind of connect the dots and everything, but it doesn't feel like uh, there's a huge amount of affection there for the the original in the way that there seems to be for the original Star Wars in pretty much everything that's happened with the Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this is about as bad as movie marketing is going to get, or do you think is there anywhere else you can go to make it worse? Uh, I'm sure there is. I can't think of anything worse, but that doesn't mean that there isn't something worse. Um, I think if we get to the point where... uh, If it gets to the point where every teaser trailer, like teaser teaser that lasts like five or ten seconds, is preceded by like huge amounts of press releases that they send out to blogs, and blogs write, oh, we're going to get a teaser trailer, which happens a little bit now, but that's more. it's more kind of like a couple of hours before it's due to happen. If it got to the point where they would say, yes, in in a month's time, you will get to see the first five seconds of the film. Mm. That would be probably the most, that would probably be the next step in egre- egregiousness. Mm. Do you think that like um, a lot of this uh, kind of feeding people kind of information in kind of like piecemeal fashion is in a way uh, to play devil's advocate for a second uh, and attempt to combat the fact that nothing is ever, kind of not leaked these days uh, there's you know just even even when you don't give out information there is just uh, hours and hours and hours of kind of material online speculating what's going to happen and kind of citing kind of sources that you know aren't backed up and do you think this is the only way that you kind of kind of keep those kind of people happy and whilst keep people still interested in the film um, by kind of just revealing little bits at a time I think that probably plays part of it. I think it's also, you have the problem of just trying to be heard in a kind of marketplace that is overcrowded for that sort of thing. Mm. Like I said earlier today on Twitter, this must be the absolute worst week to be working for a marketing department that isn't involved with Star Wars. Because, you know, Star Wars, the, the Superman Batman trailer dropped this week. The Terminator Genesis one dropped last week, but that was kind of still people were looking forward to Star Wars. They weren't talking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jurassic World dropped a trailer this week. They're all kind of for films where people aren't really aren't really that excited anyway. And because everyone's talking about Star Wars, people just don't really give a shit about them at all. Uh, but so I think the only way that you can kind of really stand out is just to occasionally, essentially, just keeping keep poking the bear of the internet and just kind of like remind people that you're there. Mm. Um, and I think when, which seems like crazy thing to say when you're talking about films that cost 
two hundred million dollars. But I think that because uh, there's so many of them and the stakes are so high for you know actually trying to make any sort of a profit you have to do that you have to kind of get out there and try and get that much attention and unless you have something like star wars where the name recognition is insane like it's it's kind of embedded in our culture it's kind of baked into the core of anyone who's under 30 Mm. and pretty much like almost anyone under that age has seen star wars um and to the extent that when people admit they haven't seen it it's like someone saying they've never seen the moon or something (laughs) it's just kind of like how could you that's no moon ed it's a franchise Mm, yeah yeah, but you know it's like it's something that is is just there all the time it's crazy to think that someone hasn't seen it um or you have something like the mad max trailer where something comes along and you just promise so much craziness that you can kind of break through the noise a little bit yeah it's weird not everyone could promise that I think going back to what I was saying about uh, kind of keeping the kind of internet kind of speculators um, happy, I think what the one interesting thing like from this trailer was like we've talked you know quite a lot about the problems with internet journalism, kind of film journalism. Um, you know, I read several pieces um, like kind of websites that I won't mention, but slash film, slash film <laughs> would report on a, another way they would say that uh, we've had a, a you know a source tell us what the trailer is going to uh, uh, entail and then they quote another website which I won't mention but it's called makingstarwars.net that says they've got this cast iron source and they list all the basically they, they list every shot in the trailer and surprise surprise fucking none of those shots were in the trailer so <laughs> we're talking about um, you know tens of thousands of clicks worth of internet time on someone reporting another website speculation that turned out to be completely false. Yeah, it does. It is just that desire to kind of get page clicks and to kind of feed the desire to you know get people to clicking on your page and make money from advertising. Mm. I think that is the the kind of uh, feeding frenzy of a lot of online criticism and journalism. Certainly for sites that actually make money. You know, what if you if you're at the stage where you're making money, you have to you just have to compete against a lot of people who are all of a similar sort of size. You know that that impulse just gets stronger and and kind of worse, uh, and it's all kind of very mercurial. Hmm. Um, Star Wars, the the new film, has been very 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 secretive, um, to the point where it's kind of been, I'd say, more secretive than any kind of similarly budgeted film. In the sense that we still don't know, we know what actors are in it, but we still don't know who they're playing in most cases. Um, do you think is that a deliberate thing on J.J. Abrams' part? In the sense that you know most of his films and TV projects like Lost and stuff, he likes to keep shrouded in mystery. Or do you think this is kind of some kind of attempt by Disney to kind of uh, prevent Star Wars fatigue? I think it's probably a bit of both. He's someone who. Uh, you know his his entire kind of approach to his art his art certainly since since lost has been you know he has this whole thing where he talks about how every character every character in lost had a secret and he didn't necessarily know what that secret was when the show started mm. and then they would kind of find that but every actor he told that you know you have this secret that will 
eventually eventually might be revealed or it might not be it might just be something that no one ever addresses but that's kind of a key to his things i think he thinks all all drama arrives from people having secrets or from people trying to discover secrets and you can see that in uh the marketing for say super 8 which was built entirely around not seeing the monster and not really uh saying there was a monster in it um just kind of hinting at a lot of things i think this falls into that but this isn't really built around the idea of oh star wars is going to be a mystery that's going to have to be solved it's not like we're watching like the trailers for um star trek into darkness where they tried to do everything they could to not say that he that benedict cumberbatch was playing khan or anything Mm. um it more it is more just kind of a case of saying you know we don't want to show you what you're going to see on chris in on december the 18th i think it's more just kind of like treating it like like a present that people are going to get and not revealing too much and i think that that plays into his his approach as a filmmaker but i think disney know that there are different ways of treating different films and for for star wars because it's such a big thing and it's such a an unknown like the star wars expanded universe has been has existed for 20 something years uh and it's it's been going on in the background for all this long time but we're now entering completely new territory we're entering a thing where people don't know what's going to happen in star wars which hasn't happened since 1983 mm. so i think that they know that a big part of this is saying we don't want to tell everyone what's going to happen because the surprise is going to be a big part of it do you remember you know the lead up to phantom menace coming out because that was uh kind of marketing food movie marketing as basically saturation marketing that was you just mm. could not move for it could you no and there were so many even after it came out there were so many tie-ins and so many uh computer games and everything that span out from it including the pod racing game which was actually a lot of fun it was probably the one really good thing to come out of the phantom menace um yeah i think i think they may have learnt i mean maybe things will be different maybe in november you won't be able to move for star wars stuff and it probably will ramp up a lot but i think that this approach does seem to be saying we don't need to make everything star wars all the time because everyone is always talking about star wars all the time anyway Mm. it's like the internet has not gone without an argument about the prequels in 16 years (laughs) people will still be talking about star wars whether or not you put up adverts for it well, I think that uh, that seems to be a decent enough place uh, to wrap it up. Um, this podcast has actually been uh, a teaser for a four-hour uh, podcast <laughs> about the same subject we'll do in a couple of weeks, so you've got that to look forward to. Uh, it is kind of a teaser for what we'll be doing at the end of the year when we'll be doing a big Star Wars episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you actually think it's going to be any good, Ed? I, I, I hope it will be. I don't know if it will be. I think J.J. Abrams... Uh, talented visual director i think he can do action really well i think that lawrence kasdan is a potentially great screenwriter and i'm glad he's involved mm-hmm. um and that george lucas isn't yeah uh, i think if you look at the venn diagram of good star wars films and bad star wars films ones that lawrence kasdan wrote without george lucas is is one place and ones that he wrote with george lucas is another one so i think the idea of him being involved in that is is very exciting i think it's got an amazing cast my main problem with it is that my main not my problem i can't have a problem with a film i haven't seen um that isn't isn't finished yet yeah my main concern with it 
is there's so many fucking characters. Um, like if because I, I I've been listening to the Star Wars Minute podcast a lot recently, which is great and is a lot better than you would think a podcast about people watching Star Wars a minute at a time could be. Mm. Um, mainly because it's got really funny guests and stuff. But uh, one of the things that listening to that has has made me kind of think about is the fact that the original Star Wars trilogy it really is just about Luke, Leia and Han most of the time it's about them then you have like the ancillary characters who kind of flit in and out of it it never really treats the rest of the characters all that imp- as being all that important and this one not only are those three characters going to be in it but there's going to be like 12 new characters who all seem like they're going to be quite important because they're played by reasonably big name actors and my worry is that it would become really overstuffed and it would lose the kind of very key focus storytelling that made the first two really good and that kind of got unmoored with uh, Return of the Jedi and the rest of the prequels. Mm. I suppose that, that that has been kind of counterbalanced in the sense that at Star Wars Celebration this week they've been really pushing uh, Oscar Isaac, uh, John Boyega and Daisy Ridley. Um, they brought them out for a, you know, a big panel. Uh, they're the only people we really know apart from the returning cast exactly who they're playing um uh i, I wonder whether they're, they're kind of trying to push that to kind of assuage your fears and i think they're probably doing it just for you <laughs> my concern um is that i do like uh jj abrams i really loved uh the star trek reboot and that's a franchise i could give two shits about i don't really like star trek at all and i watched it uh uh, just at the end of the year that it came out in, just to say that I had seen it, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really brilliant kind of uh, uh, take on that world, um, and it you know it kind of hit all the right notes that made you feel like this is Star Trek, but then also made it feel quite nice and shiny and new. Um, but then also, I, I don't really think I've seen any of his other films that I actually liked because mm. I didn't particularly like Super Eight. I thought that was you know all mouth and no trousers. Uh, you know, great. It made me feel like I was watching a, you know, an Amblin film from the eighties, but it wasn't anywhere near as good as any of those films. Um, and then uh, Star Trek Two was, yeah, it seemed rushed to me. Mission Impossible Three is good. Oh yeah, that is good. Um, so he's basically like hitting five hundred right now. Yeah, so we'll see if he can put himself over the top and make himself one of the the great, one of the greats with a seven fifty bat an average or not. Yeah, absolutely. And no one's hit 400 since Ted Williams, so, you know, and that was a long time ago. Anyway, before we descend into uh, kind of uh, baseball stattery, um, we probably should wind it up. Um, uh, yeah, uh, if you like the show, please subscribe on iTunes, review it, uh, rate it, uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, all that shit. Um, we'll be back next week with something else. Uh, it will no doubt be fascinating. Uh, but until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.